inspired by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Outlook, a show about accessibility, advocacy, and equality. I'm Brian. And I'm Carrie. Outlook. Radio Western. Hello and welcome to another episode of Outlook. How are you doing, Carrie, today? Good morning. Welcome to November. Yeah, our second show of this month and still recording from home, as we've been doing for most of this year, I guess, since since April, really. So this is uh the beginning of our eighth month recording from home, so crazy how wow. time flies. And before we know it, we might have we might be recording more from home than we have in the studio. Yeah, well, I would think so. Also, uh, so one other thing, I, I know we don't always keep track of numbers, but this is episode number ninety. Just if you were curious, we're getting oh, close to, to our hundredth episode. Nice. I, I I mean to ask you on occasion what number we're at, but I always forget. Yeah, Great. Well, I just like to keep track, and uh, I don't. Yeah, we're not going to make it to our. That. I don't think we're going to hit our hundredth this year, but it'll be early, early in twenty twenty one. So, sweet. All right. Well, let's uh, brush by. Yeah, it's uh, world well, events. It's been quite the week, and again, we're recording this yeah. a few days in advance. It's November fifth right now, so who knows what will be happening by the time this airs? But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Any, any, anywho, let's buckle up. But yeah, so I thought today we would on Outlook. I thought we would do um, a few. Well, I, ha I hate to call them book reviews. Uh, yeah, it's more of a discussion <laughs> or a. Yeah, I, mean, I don't want it to review. seem like you know maybe you didn't like sitting in school all those days when their classmates had to do book reports in front of the class. I don't, I don't mean to make it like that, but no. um, I've gotten back to reading a lot more again recently. Now that the year's kind of winding down, and I, uh, I've been reading a bunch of books, always something on rotation, and I've been recently reading two books that are related to disability and themes of disability, thought, so I thought we would discuss them on Outlook. Um, uh, how did you, so, um, how did you get, get the books, and how, are, how did you read them? I know, you're, yeah. I know you're blind like me, so just for our listeners, maybe tell them hey, how you... Blind like Blind Like Me, that's a podcast, not mm, ours. Not ours, no. We were on that podcast, though. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I heard about one of them because it's a Canadian book. Well, no, they're both Canadian books. Yeah, they're both Canadian. Um, yeah, but one of them I heard about in literary circles as a writer because it's it's been written by a... She's like an academic and a writer um, from Hamilton. So that's book's been making sort of the rounds in, in um, media circles, uh, you know, literature programs on the CBC and stuff. I've interviewed the author and things. So. so that's how I found out about that one. And the other one, yeah, I just heard through the grapevine. Um, so I just thought we'd um, start with one in this first half hour. So I don't know. Do you want to take your pick? Just pick one of the two. Sure. I think we'll, we'll go with uh, Disfigured. I was going to say, which one sort of 
sparked your interest most? I know you they're, you they're, don't know really. You didn't read them all, obviously, but um, they both they both did sound very interesting from from the description. So I don't know. I don't know if I actually had a favorite by reading the descriptions. Yeah, um, they both they both seem quite different in 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 uh, overall for sure. What their what the plot line is and what the actual book is about. But um, what I just wanted to quick discuss with the listeners is first off, how, what did you how did you read them in Braille audiobooks? How did you read the books? Yeah, so I'm going to get into this a lot more in next week's episode. Uh, I got some stuff to say about Braille production, but I'm going to save that uh, because it's been on my mind le- uh, lately because the book um, you did not select as our first choice. Uh, I've been reading that one in Braille, so hard copy Braille, so actual books of Braille paper stapled together. Right. Somewhere in Toronto, I believe, and mailed to you, uh, to your house. So it's a box that came in the mail, and it's, uh, I believe it's five volumes of Braille. So it's not a long, long book. But, um, yeah, as far as Braille, it's obviously a different length than print. So that's how I was reading that one. Um, and then the one we're going to talk about right now, Disfigured, uh, I'm reading that one on my Braille display, so my electronic Braille display, what I'm using right now with my notes for the show here. Uh, but I just bought that book, um, Disfigured, like anybody else would buy a book in Apple Books, and then I can read it right on my iPhone. With your Braille display. Yeah, Connect- I prefer to, to read it. Connected to your iPhone. Yeah, with Bluetooth, yeah. And uh, I just wanted to quick mention, too, when I... I was looking up these books on on Google to just do a little bit of a read up on them, and uh, the the website Nels showed up as like the third or fourth result for I think it was the other book. The just give our listeners a bit of a tease. What's coming up in the second half hour? The Blind Mechanic is mm-hmm. the title of the other book, and I think it might have been that one. Uh, a link to Nels came up on the first page, and I thought that's important because oh, that's the na- National Network of Equitable Library Services, the one that we we talk about quite a bit on this show pretty much making public libraries accessible to all and it's a it's a great it's a great organization here in Canada um, mm-hmm. and uh, I would assume they have if not w- just one maybe both of these books I know you bought one of them so I guess you didn't get you didn't get either yeah. of them from Nels I guess but no I didn't actually in this case but uh, it's good to know like I've, I've said pre- previously it's good to know we have options but uh, let's stick to the contents of the books today. What did you gain from reading just a little bit about Disfigured? Anything? Or do you want me to begin uh, well, with a synopsis? I thought, um, I think the overall the overall concept behind it is a really neat one that we've sort of, we have been touching on to a degree here on this show, um, more specifically with current current media. But I think maybe the author is, does get into um, current times a little bit as it she seems like a younger younger author Mm -hmm. um but it it has to do with how disability is depicted in media but in this case um it begins more so with fairy tales like older older stories but we talk about that a lot about how there's a blind character in in some shows or movies that we've talked about in the past scent of a woman and stuff like that where there are blind characters in the in these in these uh in this media but they're often portrayed even if it's in the case of scent of a woman where it was a it, it did have a, a good ending and, and all of that, but... Um, great still... story. What's that? That movie had great story. Yeah, for sure. And I'm, I mean, some of them... That that one probably isn't the best example. It wasn't depicting blindness in such a negative thing as some some uh, places might. Um, but just, yeah, the whole the whole effect that it does have and the, the deeper effect that it has on people is, is an interesting 
part that it gains. And then I was also just, I was, anytime I, I hear about these books, I like to know a little bit about the author um, and mm-hmm. what maybe inspired them to write these books. So not that, not that an author would have to be disabled to write a book like this, but I kind of figured there was a good chance. And it turns out that it says the author of Disfigured is someone by the name of Amanda LeDuc. And she is a disabled writer with cerebral palsy, is what I I see. So she does have uh, uh, some sort of a disability. And they also mentioned um, she was born in British Columbia, but lived all over the place, I guess, Ontario, England, Scotland. And um, now, I think you mentioned already, Hamilton is where she lives now. And um, she's currently the communications and development coordinator for the Festival of Literary Diversity, FOLD, Mm -hmm. which is Canada's first festival for diverse authors and stories. Yeah, that might have been where I even did hear about her book. Uh, I'm not all that familiar with that uh, festival. Yeah, I was trying to remember if you you knew about that festival or... I've followed it for a few years and I I hope to learn more about it in the future. But uh, yeah, like I'm really trying to get into the Canadian literature scene. Uh, can let as they call it just because it's good to know what's going on nearby but i thought i'd read a quote from the book in demanding the space to tell our own stories and advocating for the social model of disability and for its different ways of viewing the world disabled people taking back control of the narrative and urging the world to rethink the idea of the individual triumph doing the work of dismantling the narratives that have been told about disabled people for thousands of years. And yet these narratives run so much deeper than we realize, like the thorns that grew to submerge Sleeping Beauty's castle in the Disney film. Their roots run gnarled paths far below the ground. To understand how the medical and social models of disability function in the world of our everyday, and how these models and ways of thinking shape the words that guide countries on a social, political, and structural level, we must also understand how the stories that we've told in the past have worked to entrench the idea of the disabled other as, at best, an object of pity, and at worst, an invisible someone barely there at all. So yeah, as you see in that quote, uh, there's a first reference to fairy tales, uh, which, like like you said, is what the book's theme is. And I thought that was an interesting take on it. And yes, we have recently done an episode talking about, yeah, how disability is portrayed in media. Uh, and that was around a film festival I attended was it already back in the spring. But it's this whole idea of ha- un- unhappily ever after, as the author likes to say. <laughs> mm. right because because fairy tales were not always happy actually you know the happy ending versions in 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 the disney films um were obviously not how the brothers Grimm originally wrote fairy tales back 200 over 200 years ago uh so there's a real examination and it is a generic generic disability theme book so like you said the author has cerebral palsy but she references so many other disabilities uh, but disfigured is sort of going to the idea that we're talking a lot about in fairy tales, especially physical rep- signs uh, on on a on a character's body um, that indicate character flaws, such as you know an ugly witch with a wart or disfigurements of other kinds. 
And in a fairy tale that usually stands in for ugly and ugly often leads to, to evil and villains. But in real life, obviously, uh, you know, disability, disfigurement. We talk a lot all the time about words and the power words play, right? And I know often people will say, you know, well, what's the big deal? And these are just words and just have a sense of humor, right? I know. And I, I sometimes think it's, it is one of those things that it is so ingrained in our culture, wh- whether it be words specifically or, or fairy tales, like these, these stories that we're told when we were a kid that are just so ingrained in, in our culture that people maybe don't see it as an issue because it's just, it's so mm-hmm. accepted at this point that people think like, oh, it's just a word. How, how can that have any effect when really like it's, it goes, uh, it goes um, a lot further than that, more deep than that. It's benign to people who it doesn't affect. But to someone like me or you or someone else with a disability, you know, you want to look for a direct correlation that might not be spotted, but it's, it's in there and it affects how society is managing what disability means in society today. And like I said, so what she talks about in the book is how it's only a story except when it isn't. But I was thinking back as I was reading, I was remembering back in the old days as, as kids. I don't know if you remember, but I remember our, our opa, our father's father. Um, he died when I was 10, but uh, before that, we used to spend a lot of time at their house and things. And I remember him often reading us stories. Do you have any memory of that? Specifically like Little Red White Riding Hood and certain ones that I guess I associate with sort of that area of Europe which is where our grandparents were from. But yeah, uh, yeah, he used to tell us about, you know, Little Red Riding Hood. and That's that's one I can have a vague memory of, of Little Red Riding Hood. Other than that, I can't really think of many. Again, he, he did pass away, like you said, you were 10 and I was, I was only seven. So this would have been way back, you know, over 26, 27 years ago. But uh, I d- yeah, I don't, I think I do remember. Um... I mean, he read us all kinds of stuff. He read us, you know, kids books and stuff but often it was fairy tales and folklore from you know from europe which is where the brothers Grimm were from um so it just made me think of that and when you know when i was little I, I watched a lot of disney films specifically and i knew a lot of you know folklore this this book talks about fables it, it sort of incorporates everything in there storytelling of all kinds but um you know fairy tales to me as a kid they all had happy endings and they were all disney films and and it was very black and white. It was very easy and, and you know, you know, it was very basic, evil, good and evil, right? Mm-hmm. But um, usually what, what Amanda says in this book and what she does is she nicely uh, mixes it with musings from her childhood. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, if you read anything about that in your brief research there, but... Um, she has a lot of studies and she has a lot of quotes and a lot of, you know, sort of, like I said, the more uh, professional sounding stuff, uh, researched stuff, but in, then she mixes in some memoir. Uh, like you said, growing up, she was born with cerebral palsy. Uh, she has, she had to have a shunt put in her brain to drain um, fluid when she was a child. And she said multiple surgeries. Um but uh, cerebral palsy can be a varied thing. Like we talk about with blindness, right? There can be serious, really intense cases, and there can be cases that are barely noticeable. 
Right. But I have I had a friend growing up who has cerebral palsy, and I remember I would take her arm and we'd go for walks, and you can feel I could feel her limp when she walks. You can tell. So you know that's visible enough that people might look stare if right. you have a limp, right? And she talks a lot in her book, Amanda, about growing up you know, being in school, needing a wheelchair to get around sometimes, using crutches, and how kids used to make fun of her on the playground. And her nickname as a kid was Pickle because kids used to make fun of her and say, you know, you walk like you have a pickle up here, you know. So she talks a lot about bullying, which is a big theme. Uh, and it's it's in fairy tales. Hmm. But uh, you and I, you know, you and I experienced a you know, a regular share of bullying, I believe. Not much more or less than anyone else, but it happens. Yeah, well, it's like it's like you talk about with, like, a, like anything, it really. It's it's all degrees yeah. for people. Some people are going to be is more than others, but it's still, it's obviously something that's out there. And even if it doesn't happen as much to you, you know, that doesn't mean that it's not something to still be concerned about and, and uh, try to do things to prevent and... Uh, yeah, it's interesting. She talks about how she um, always wanted to take dance when she was a kid, but she had never, she was never great with it. You know, she had bad balance and it was hard to do that. So she moved to writing and she liked to lose herself in fairy tales. So, you know, she's critical of them in this book. And, you know, some people might say, why are you picking apart the fairy tales we all grew up with? These are beloved stories, but uh, they really, they really have some gruesome details depending on what version of a certain fairy tale you're reading yeah could you um would you mind maybe giving at least one or two examples because i'm trying to i'm i'm terrible for that i just i can't quite remember as a kid too much about specifically about the fairy tales as as far as um maybe the brothers Grimm versions or some of the earlier versions that might be a little more um insensitive or well um there's so she talks a lot about Hans Christian Andersen. Have you recognized that name? Uh, I'm not sure. Sounds yeah, no pressure if you haven't to, but <laughs> <laughs> um, he he so he was the the writer who came up with stories like Little Mermaid. Right. So he was from he was from Denmark. So I know if you go there, they have a statue of a mermaid, uh, in I believe Copenhagen, to represent that that writer and the, that famous story, which. It was a beloved fairy tale, fairy tale in my youth. I used to love singing along with Ariel. But um, if you look deeper into it, which you don't when you're a kid, it's a story about a girl who wants to walk on land, and she can't do that as long as she has fins, right? Right. Um, so the fairy tale that Anderson wrote is a lot different, as I say, than the Disney film. Uh, there is no happy ending in the in the original version. But it does talk a lot about, you know, what it what it means to have your limbs and then or to not have limbs and how you, you know, so it gets kind of gruesome. But, it, <laughs> but um, you know, for someone like Amanda, who has cerebral palsy, who's always struggled with issues with her feet, um, watching the character like the Little Mermaid, she says how she loved that movie, just like most little girls did. But she also now as an adult and talking to others with cerebral palsy, other girls who love that movie as a kid, as kids, they, they talk about how that did have an effect on them. Uh, you know, and in this real life story, she loses her feet and she's in pain. She's doomed to wander in pain forever and does not end up with the prince. Uh, 
But, you know, stories like um, Cinderella. So in the in the original version, it gets kind of gruesome. The stepsisters are so desperate to fit into that slipper that they mutilate their own feet to get in it, get right. into it. Okay. So it'll fit. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, there's a lot of terms about fairy tale in this book. Um, like I said, living happily, living unhappily ever after, stuff like that, sort of a play on words. Um, but it's talking a lot about how many protagonists in fairy tales, you know, it's a hero complex. So she gets into superhero movies and a little more modern stuff. Uh, so she goes all the way from a couple hundred years ago with these fairy tales to right up to the modern movies of today and. I know we've talked, like I said, in that previous episode about superheroes, and it made me remember this essay I wrote when my niece was little, our niece, Soph. Uh, I ended up writing an essay that I would wanted to write on her, in honor of her, called Su- Princesses and Superheroes, and it was basically saying, like, you know, you can be whatever you want to be, but what is the definition of a princess? So Amanda in this book talks about how princesses are all about purity and beauty and sweetness and and in, in a in a movie or a story that looks a lot different and she never was able to see herself as a princess even though she was obsessed with royalty like she talks about i don't know if you remember back when prince william was getting married i was kind of wrapped up in that whole wedding fanfare a little less for the more recent wedding of harry but it's this whole thing like right like wondering about beauty and standards and and how that's incorporated into fairy tales and and that goes a long way with disability and how you see yourself because you're not like everyone else you're not normal or whatever it is yeah and just for for anyone who doesn't have that image that they're putting out there with this you know this beautiful princess or whatever it's not it's not realistic and it's it's one of these things that People, a lot uh, people grow up with this, these images and all this stuff, and it's. Uh... Well, like I said, a lot of f- facial disfigurements and things. Um, so she talks in her book about this campaign this, on social media that happened in the UK called "We Are Not Your Villains," and it was about people with facial deformities and things, um, you know, wanting to get the word "villain" off of. You know, like in like Lion King, Scar, the the evil brother has a scar in his face, uh, and there's nothing redeeming in him. But you know, what's a disabled character versus physical disabled disability? Right? There's 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 character disability too, in my opinion, <laughs> or personality disability, or emotional, whatever you might want to call it. But she talks about superheroes as i said and she talks about you know like the x-men movies and it made me think of the first time when i i watched x-men for the first time and i just was really i was actually really emotional when i saw some of those scenes uh talking about the rights of all beings you know not being treated differently because you look different or fitting in um and i can really relate to that and i could relate to samanda's story in a broader sort of context you know we talk obviously about blindness specifically on outlook uh but there are so many different characteristics in these fairy tales that are linked to disability and this book does a great job of sort of summing that up and like i said it's very well researched and it's you know it's like taking a fairy tale studies course or something yeah no it seems like it's a it's a really good uh 
sort of overview of just based on on you telling me about it and what I have read that it just seems like it's a good um oh, I can't I can't think of the the word like a good compendium of all sorts of all this mm-hmm. information in one place kind of really doing an overall look at everything well yeah I, I mean I learned a lot about a bunch of fairy tales I hadn't even heard of before and and uh so that was interesting like uh, Hans the Hedgehog which I thought was some sort of some sort of video game. Um, they're thinking Sonic the Hedgehog. I think that's the video. No, game. there is a story though. No, I'm not. I don't. I'm, I know your oh, story. I'm yeah. just saying maybe you're getting that, confused with that. Is the video that is game. what I meant? Sorry, a video game. That's what I meant. Um, <laughs> and then there was a story of the maiden with uh, no hands. So it just and it talks about how fairy tales back hundreds of years ago they were written as fables, as folklore. You know, back when religion and magic it was all wrapped up in itself and and you know no you know people believe different things back then and and so to explain away a lot of things disabilities in society that weren't well known then people wrote fairy tales to sort of explain it away and that didn't help that that made you know the people with these disabilities feel even more like outcasts i'm sure like you know it's not like everybody was all happy kumbaya coming together around you know fires the fire pit but um it's just, you can see how it's changed over the centuries as these stories continue. And disability was a theme then, and it's a disabil- theme now. And it comes through in story, no matter what decade we're in. But Yeah, so we're almost up on, uh, coming up on the halfway point here. We have uh, about a minute and a half. So to sum things up a little bit, so we're talking about a couple of books today. Right now we're talking about Disfigured. So I don't know if you want to quickly wrap it up in a, in a minute or so and just sum things up about the book overall. Yeah. Like I said, if you're interested in all in at all in fairy tales, then read the book. Cause it's just a, a good overview of fairy tales and it looks at them all from a really interesting perspective. And like we I say often on the show, disability is out there and it will come up against your life at some point. Uh, so you know give the book a read maybe and check it out it's a great piece of canadian literature and research now did you find did you find topics overall it was it was like a a fun kind of read or was it kind of depressing or just i know some of these these books get depressing because they're they're focused on all of these they are deep issues but i didn't know if this one's a little bit more light because it's so much it's covering so much, and I don't know. I was just kind of curious overall. I, I wouldn't call it light. I mean, she's got a nice sort of casual writing style, especially when she's writing about her herself. But, uh, you know, like, she talks a lot about being bullied, and that's not nice to read that somebody went through that. She talks about a bully she had all through school who was the perfect girl in class that Amanda never felt she could be, and that she ran into her years later now at a, um, at the hospital where she works. And it's just a whole different perspective, right? And, then, and she talks about, you know, how a lot of villains in, in these movies are angry, evil people. And she talks about the feelings that she has that are ugly sometimes when she feels like a world doesn't accept her. And that, you know, how you deal with those feelings. And reading fairy tales can actually help put that in context for you. But we all read them as children and pass them along. And maybe we just need a little more, be a little more conscious about what they say and 
hopefully people don't write it off too easily as being, oh, that's no big deal. All right, we're going to take a quick break here on Outlook, and we'll be right back. Limping through the hallways, limping through my life. Welcome back. You're listening to Outlook on Radio Western this morning, November the 9th. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard to keep track of dates when we're... It is, yeah. Thanks for tuning in on 94.9 CHRW this morning. We are talking about a few books uh, that have to do with disability, which is the theme of Outlook. And our first half hour, we were talking about a book called Disfigured, which is where I got the quote I just said from. That's by um, Amanda Amanda LaDuc, for people who yeah. want to look this up or check it out. Yeah, and as I was, you know, saying, she's, she's a woman with cerebral palsy. She's around my age, and she's a writer. So I did sort of relate to her, so maybe that's part of why I like the book. And uh, it's great that these that both of these books are Canadian as well. I think that's a... Exactly. That's what I was saying. I'm, I'm As a writer, I'm fascinated, trying to focus all I can on Canlit, um, but... Yeah, so I think we'll get into specifically a, a book about blindness for the second half hour. What do you think? Yeah, this one fascinated me to to just hear a little bit about in the reading that I did do. <laughs> uh, it's called The Blind Mechanic, The Amazing Story of Eric Davidson, survivor of the 1917 Halifax Explosion. And even the Halifax Explosion, I'm Canadian. And I feel like I should should have known more about it, but I, I, don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't know that much about it. I did do a bit of reading now and... Uh, and uh, so I, I do know a little bit about it now, but um, yeah, perhaps just maybe start with a little bit of a, a summary of the book. Uh, well, there's one more quote from Disfigured it, where she says, we deserve the open destiny of life. So it's talking about, you know, what expectations are on blindness, uh, what they were 100 years ago and what they are now. But this book specifically, yeah, um, it's called The Blind Mechanic. The Amazing Story of Eric Davidson, Survivor of the 1917 Halifax Explosion. And it's written by his daughter, Marilyn Davidson Elliott. And uh, yeah, so yeah, we know a lot of us don't know about the explosion, but it took place on December 6th in 1917. So it was still in the middle of World War I in, in the city of Halifax, right on the pier. Uh, it was around nine o'clock a.m. And uh, the story talks about this little boy uh, who eventually, you know, his daughter one day would write about him in this story. And he was, um, him and his family were victims of this explosion. Right. He was only two years old, around two years old at the time, I think. And uh, yeah, um, so two, two ships pretty much collided and uh, caused mm-hmm. fire and this explosion that, it, that killed around 2,000 people. Yep. And injured thousands yes. more. Yeah, it, it, it injured, I, I think, maybe three times as much as that. And uh, it, it sent glass shards everywhere. Buildings collapsed. And a lot of people and children specifically were blinded by this accident. Yeah, I just wanted and to quickly read. It really, it really spread out. I wanted to read this little little bit that I saw from a, a, a review on the book. And I'm assuming this is the exact quote from the book um, where it talks about on December 6th, 1917, the toddler was playing by a window while watching a fire in the city's harbor that had been caused by a collision between two ships. And uh, so then after talks about the ships, then it says upon impact, 
the Mont Blanc's lethal cargo ignited. It exploded about 20 minutes later. And then mm-hmm. here we go. Here's we go, here we go with sort of the and again, not to underestimate the effect that it did have, but it just it really shows how intense things are worded, especially in a book, which <laughs> it makes sense. But yeah. it said yeah. um, it exploded about 20 minutes later, causing what author Marilyn Davidson Elliott calls the worst disaster in Canadian history. That's not the part I wanted to read. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. When it says the shattering of glass resulted in the loss of both of Dave Davidson's eyes. In that moment, he was plunged into darkness mm. for the rest of his yeah. life. It just makes it so dramatic. And again, I don't, I don't want to. I'm not trying to underestimate how much of an effect it would have on someone at that time. And I can't imagine actually, you know, being in an yeah. explosion, <laughs> explosion like that, and that happening. That's that's terrible. But I don't know. It just it makes it so dramatic. And I, I guess this book does it does turn things around because of because of what he does end up doing so it's not a it's not a straight up kind of negative book or anything for disabilities no uh this is why we're talking about this on outlook because yes it's sensational um oh my god a blind man how would he ever be a car mechanic right it you know it gets people's attention this guy is plunged into darkness for his whole life, and it's the the title right in the title, the blind mechanic. People read that and think, "Oh my God, how could he possibly do that? He's got to be an you know an anomaly." And and I got to be honest, and this is another thing that we talk about on the show quite a bit is I saw the title, the blind mechanic, and even me, I'm I'm wondering how how is that totally possible? How are there blind mechanics? Mm-hmm. And again, I think it's yep. number one is is I've never I've never really been that interested in cars, so I have no connections right. or ties to that that world or community so it's not something i involve myself in that much and everyone has their own you've, you've never felt like plunging your hand into the f- engine of a car getting it all oiled up and <laughs> you're not quite so so it did seem it did seem kind of fascinating even to me to think about the, the blind mechanic but i don't i don't sit yeah. here and doubt that it's possible it's more so that i just don't know that much about it which is probably the case for many people so so it's a mixture of, of our own ignorance that we we have ignorance too and and obviously the internalized ableism that we've had all our lives that even we hear we think of certain jobs and we don't we don't even think we could do them let you know let alone any blind person and we really don't feel that way truthfully but at at some level you grow up hearing these stories talking about this is the only guy who ever figured out how to be a mechanic without sight. I don't believe that it's, he's just the only one who happened to have a book written about him because he was involved in this explosion. Right. So, but yeah, it is a sad story. You know, this little boy was two years old and, and he wasn't the only one, everybody in the, in the area, the fires happened first. So they were all looking over at the pier. Yeah. It's kind of like, Oh, fire. Yeah. Just to look at over there. And then this little happens. This little boy, Eric, um, it's actually his middle name. His real name is his first name. He's named after his father, but um, his name is Eric. And yeah, they, they, in the story, his daughter says, so his daughter has um, access to photographs and um, a lot of old reports from the doctors and the rehab rehabilitation people. And so she's got a lot of stuff to draw from. And she's even got her father's um, cassette reel-to-reel tapes. He used to, she talks about how he used to, he used to have a recorder with him all the time which you and I can relate to, or yeah. we've, we know people who did that. Uh, you know, when obviously when you're blind, you can't see. Sound is very important, and you like to capture things uh, that way. 
So his daughter says it's a great resource that she has now that he's gone, that she can actually hear her voice as a, you know, three-year-old or whatever that he recorded her. But uh, yeah, it's it's scary to think this little boy, like his mother and his sister, they're both they're all standing in their little house looking out the window at these fires, and and so he was at the window playing with a little toy train when eventually the explosion happened, uh, and so he was at the window and it shattered and got glass in his eyes, and he ended up yeah having to have both of them removed. So I related to him on that area. Mine, you know, in my left eye is prosthetic, but but. Uh, there's a lot of descriptions about what that was like and and how long it took him to actually get his artificial eyes. He needed to make sure he was all healed. And it was just, you know, they were lucky that they weren't hurt worse or, or killed. Uh, his father was on the way to work and he lost some hearing. And then his sister and his mother and him were in the house. And the, the mother and the sister had some burns and some other things. But uh, yeah, he was the only one in the family who ended up losing his sight. And it talks about how his parents were like a lot of parents. They were very, yeah, you know, very, you know, they really coddled him at first. They, he was afraid to leave his mother's side. He, it's a very sad, his daughter says he, at, the, at, at first he kept asking his mom and dad to please turn on the lights. Oh. <laughs> See, so you have parts like that, that are very sad. And, and if you, if that's all you're exposed to with blindness, of course, that's the impression you get about it. But in this story, he does go on to live a very wonderful life. And um, he has uh, three children. He gets married. And yeah, how does he get into uh, automobile mechanics? Yeah, if he could. What do you think? I I really have no idea. So that's the part I was <laughs> interested about to, to talk to you about and get, get some answers. And just a, just a little bit about what that involved and how he how he got there and what what sort of tasks he did he talks about completing as an as a mechanic yeah so quickly there's a letter from his mother to the rehab um people shortly after the accident that says even though he is blind he is the same dear little boy to me so you know just you feel for the mother but at the same time that's how blindness is seen and it's so scary but his parents really as much as they called him they actually were very um very supportive of whatever he wanted to do. They didn't, you know, say, Oh, well, you're blind. I don't think you can do that. They, yeah, you know, a, eventually they ended up sending him to the school for the blind in Halifax. Um, but he wanted to get into cars. He was interested in them from really young. And his dad, his, his parents actually found him a, an old car that wasn't used anymore. And they put it in their backyard for him to tinker with. Right. So that's how he started. And then at the School for the Blind, they did teach. So they taught a lot of the same things they did at the time. Um, you know, broom making, basket, knitting, and sewing. Um, but he also did wood, woodworking and woodshop. And people don't realize that that is a thing that, that they do teach blind people. They teach them that at certain training rehabilitation centers that we know of. Right. And again, but again, though, I do want to I do want to stress sometimes that I think sometimes back in those days, these those things weren't necessarily as questioned as they are today in the sense that today, you know, in, in some schools or for me in school growing up when we had shop class and stuff like that, I was I think I was maybe more exempt from it or I don't remember taking yeah. anything like that in high school. And part of that could have been an interesting that I just wasn't interested. But I do think another part of it was that 
people back then these skills were kind of seen a little bit more as as uh, something that was taught whereas i think sometimes mm-hmm. today they these things can be overlooked a little bit which is weird to think that in the past these things were more common than they are today but this this kind of stuff came up a bunch a few months ago when we spoke with the blind history lady from from colorado so it just goes mm-hmm. to show how how things change over time and well um what he did was he tinkered with his car and his siblings would read him the uh, car me- um, mechanic uh, manuals. And he he used his senses so he could tell what certain... Ca- so we know of a few blind people who know who knew certain car makes by the sound of them, right? So he, had, he, did, he did that. He could hear these cars when he would have them running. He could hear their motor and he could tell... He could tell if it didn't sound quite right, right? And he could tell, he sort of diagnosed what a car's problem might be by the sound the motor was making. Or he smelled if there was a certain smell coming from the engine. Or, you know, he knew what to feel and, and how cautious to be with his hands so he didn't, you know, touch the fan belt or whatever. But but um, he had a lot of practice and he actually he actually got a job during World War II when a lot of men were away. So that sort of gave him an advantage, whereas most times... It would be hard. It was hard for him to right because as we talk about even into a even today this 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 discrimination and more and also just play, workplaces not being accessible, the infrastructure not being there to be able to to help to allow people with disabilities to work there who who otherwise are totally qualified and could do the job. Um, but like mm-hmm. you say, with with so many people being away off off in war and stuff, they're just they're, this was so needed. They needed people to work. So at that point. Yep. The, the the discrimination kind of went by the wayside because it was like oh we have someone here that can do this we're gonna we're not gonna lose out on that uh, on that opportunity so yeah well Eric said um, I always wanted to be a mechanic I used to think about that often wondering if anyone would ever give me a chance right so yeah the war that's, did get him in the door that's what like a, a lot, lot of it women comes, that's that is what a lot of for, yeah, absolutely for for women as well. During, during that the war, is, yeah, that is a big a big point that he he says there in that quote about given the chance, and I think that is a big part of everything. Where it's like there is the expertise out there. There is a lot of there are tons of like any segment of population. There are a lot of blind people with these skill sets and able to do all sorts of different careers. But at the same point, a lot of times we're just not given the chance. And uh, yeah, hopefully that that's that's changes over time and. There's always exceptions, like in the case of uh, the blind mechanic. Yeah, and like like I said, the title makes it sound like that he's he's the only one in the world or something. But if you looked, you'd find a bunch more. There's plenty of blind people who find cars fascinating. Uh, you know, as you said, you're not one of them. I'm not one of them, but... Uh, well, I think they're fascinating in the sense that they someone can drive them and they get me from one place to another. Get us, get I think that part, yeah. but that's that's pretty much as far as it goes for me. No, this this man obviously loved it, and he was interviewed multiple times for a few short films, documentaries. He was on the CBC, so I think if you probably Googled uh, the blind mechanic Eric in Canada, Davidson. CBC, yeah, I'm sure they have some interviews. Um, yeah, and he so he went on to have three kids, and and um, some of the ways his daughter writes about growing up with a father who was blind is the same kind of things I heard recently from the um, 
the daughter of the president of the Canadian Federation of the Blind, she actually spoke at a at this NFE conference about growing up with two blind parents, just like this author here for this book did. Right. Um, and uh, just to remind our listeners, you're listening to Outlook here today on Radio Western. We are talking about a couple of books that focus on disability. The first book was called Disfigured by Amanda LaDuke. And now here in the second half, we're talking about The Blind Mechanic, which is by Marilyn Davidson Elliott, daughter of Eric Davidson, who was the blind mechanic. And uh, Yeah, he was the, the blind mechanic. The one. No, I'm just One I'm just and kidding. only. There's, there's, I'm sure there's more. Um, but yeah, th- was there anything specific, really specific about the her, his daughter talking about growing up with a blind parent that stuck out or i mean it's interesting to me you know and most daughters who write about their fathers there's going to be a, a bit of that in there where you know use a lot of words like inspirational and things and you know some of that is just being you know she loves loved him as, as her father uh but I think it focuses mostly on, you know, it gives a well-rounded thing. It talks about the generations, how Eric's mother never got over it, truly. She had post-traumatic stress disorder, and she had mental health issues all her life, you know, not getting over the fact that her son... So, you know, there's on one end, there's that, and then there's the other end, like I said, how supportive it sounds like those parents were. We can kind of relate them to our parents in a way 100 years later. You know, going out and uh, on the line like that, and and having the idea to get an old car and put it in your yard for your son to have his own example to work on, so he can understand a car without feeling like you know you have to do it in front of a bunch of sighted people who don't know him. And then he, you know, sounded like he had close relationship with his siblings, kind of like you and I have, having siblings who lo- you know were happy to read him his manuals and. Uh, and it talks about how he loved to go skating. It talks about a bunch of his adventures at the school for the blind as a kid. He 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 walked off a few times and didn't tell the school where he was going. You know, the sort of usual stuff a teenager does. So it kind of goes through his life. Uh, he ended up working in Ontario briefly in a few um, car sh- dealerships and things. And then he came back to Halifax where his family was. So this was, he would have been born, I guess, in 1916 or something like that, because this happened, or 1917, ni- this, maybe 1915. 1915, yeah. Um, so how how long went, like, how old was he when he retired? Do you kind of have a bit of an idea of the end of his life, what, how things? Yeah, so he, I think he lived to about 90. Okay. So a good long life. Yeah. Um. And, it, you know, it said, like, he knew Halifax, like, the back of his hand. He was great with the streets of Halifax. He knew he knew the streets uh, back, you know, up, back um, you know, up and down. And he was obviously famous, always being the child who, you know, lost his eyes in this explosion. And, I, you know, briefly, I just want to say that that was, you know, we can't sort of go without mentioning it. That was the um, beginning of the CNIB in Canada. Yeah, that's what came to my mind right away when I saw that title. And again, that's that's one of those <laughs> things too that until getting more so involved with the blind community the last few years and getting involved 
with this other organization that we're a part of, the Canadian Federation of the Blind, I I didn't even really necessarily think about the CNIB before as, as, as far as when it started and why it started and all of that. So um, it is interesting to note that it was the CNIB specifically did start after because of this Halifax explosion and these people left blinded and, and these um, people coming from, from the war and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. all the veterans. Yeah, it, it had to do with the World War One also. Right. But, but yeah, so in between his mechanic jobs, he, he did work at the CNIB. Okay, a couple yeah, times was, in his life. I was curious if he if he did anything else or and then how how long in like late into his life he still worked as a mechanic. Or... Well, he worked at a, like I said a bunch of um, auto shops and and dealerships, um, but then he ended up getting a job working on the vehicles for the city of Halifax. So that would have been a good job, right? Like a city job, and uh, so he had twenty five years there. So I didn't work out every exact year of his life. Right? No, no. But that that's a good that's a good. He was long time. in his thirties before he got married. Uh, he met Mary, his wife, at a bowling event, and they actually talk about the CCB in this book, which is, I guess, sprang from the CNIB, or people, some people created CCB yes. after. We don't. T- we haven't talked to too much about that organization no. here on this show, but it is another one here in Canada, the Canadian Council of the Blind, and uh, yeah, but they but they organize like that's how they organize these bowling events that she that they met at. Right. From what I gather, the, the, the CCB is more of a community sort of getting together for fun sort of things. It's not m- as much based in advocacy or, or these other things that, that we're more involved with. Yeah, they, but, say, uh, they say they do a bit of advocacy, but it's often a lot of sport, sports events. And, and so the author of this book, Marilyn, the daughter, she, she grew up with her parents, you know, and her father and going to a lot of these events. And, and so she was around blind people, not just her parents, but they... So it's kind of confusing. At certain points in this book, Eric talks about how he never wanted to accept charity and handouts. Um, you know, because after the the explosion, anybody who was affected, children, everybody who you know, they, they were getting, they were getting some money and stuff. But it was so he couldn't actually get that money until he turned seventeen or eighteen. Uh, so there's a bunch of that in there, but. Yeah, and Again, that's, his parents really fought for him in a lot of ways. But that's another thing that I think it's important to touch on is is this whole thing about the balance of yeah, we don't as blind people we don't want to just be getting these handouts and look at it like oh we're just cl- going to claim this money and it so it, it's that balance, but it's also doesn't have to be extreme either to the point of mm-hmm. of oh I can't accept any assistance I have to figure everything out on my own and sometimes it does it does make you feel a little bit of pressure when you read books like this, because it, it shows someone that, yeah. oh, he did this and he was a mechanic. And then you kind of look at, you're like, or for me, exa- for example, it's I'm blind and I look at that and I, 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 it's not that I don't think it's possible. I know it it clearly is. It's more so how c- exactly does he do that? And then it's it just sort of makes you consider like, oh, should I be doing more? How come I haven't accomplished? How come I'm not doing some hands-on type of job like that, that people would be you know, so, so amazed by or something. Not that I want people to be amazed by it because it should just be a n- normal thing like in, that anyone could do in society that you may have a disability, but you still have ways to work around things and your own way of doing things. But uh, yeah, I don't know. So I'm, I'm assuming you got that, you got that feeling a bit reading the book. Yeah. 
I, I mean, I got the, like I said, I got the feeling that he was one of those people that you don't take handouts, but at the same time, you got to watch that language because there are a lot of people who are struggling and can use it for short term, term or long term, and you know it does no good to sort of make it seem like it's a shameful. It's thing. a weakness, yeah, or something because it's yeah, weakness. everyone everyone has their own their own strengths and weaknesses, and there's there's so many factors that it's not worth. You don't want to be. We don't want to be creating some sort of hierarchy or this person's more important than this person because they didn't take any handouts or whatever. It's not, it's not about that. Um. Yeah. I mean, read, read uh, the blind mechanic. If you um, want to learn more about the Halifax explosion, it really does actually give a nice snapshot of that historical event. Yeah, I was going to uh, actually it's ask. Very, de- very descriptive of the different injuries that people had and then how far explosion affected people and what it did to the to the city and yeah i kind of i kind of feel like out of the two books at the beginning you asked me maybe which to pick one um i kind of feel like this this mechanic one off off first first glance here it's seems a little bit more of an interesting or at least one maybe i would jump to first just because it's it has this whole historic i mean i guess they both do have very historical um context but this one just seems very I don't know. So, like I said, the the um, it doesn't you know, seem disfigured. Disfigured. Yeah, it's. It might not be your. I have this book though. Um, it's not that it's not mechanic. Yeah. If you want to read it. Yeah, I, I and I would be interested in reading both, but um, I was kind of I was also curious. What did you have a favorite of the two? One that stuck with you more, or did you like them in different ways? Or, I mean, yeah, disfigured obviously is more academic. Uh, and I wouldn't say so. I mean, they're about quite different topics yeah it's probably hard to really compare the two but yeah i mean there wasn't one that you just enjoyed more reading or, or whatever you both you just like them both in their own ways i enjoyed both stories i wasn't so much a fan of reading the braille book and i'll get to more of that next week as i say there were some issues with the braille yeah cause um, we do generally we do love braille here that wouldn't mm-hmm. normally be a comment like, oh, I didn't like reading the Braille one, the actual book. Oh, I'm sure it. you can get these books in audiobooks, but yeah, I, I preferred to read them in Braille. No, I mean, they're both just very different. And, you know, I'm not into cars at all, but it is always great to learn more about what other blind people have done. Depends on, you know, it doesn't matter what second century we're in. But yeah, like I said, to learn a lot about the explosion and how it was, you know, how awful it would have been for that little boy. So again, we're talking about serious things, obviously, but, you know, I think that guy, that that man went on to, you know, obviously he didn't remember all of that, and he didn't remember when he had eyes that, you know, that could see. So he grew up that way all his life, and he, he did have a good life with, you know, a family, and so. Yeah, so everyone should consider checking out, including myself, the the Blind Mechanic, by Marilyn Davidson Elliott and Disfigured by <laughs> trying to ring the Amanda Leduc. Amanda Leduc, right? So those are the two books that we are covering today. We've covered today. We're down to the last minute or so of today's show. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe you know, these books might not be for everybody, but uh, I like to review any kind of book about disability on Outlook. And I thought it was preferable to talking about what else is going on in the world. There's plenty of time to get back to that. So, 
yeah no i i was i was happy as gruesome as fairy tales and this explosion were sounds like sometimes you know it was interesting to escape into those worlds of eric's life as a mechanic or as amanda's life with cerebral palsy and and as i said she's a writer so i could relate to that more than i could cars (laughs) all right well Thank you for for checking out those books and bringing them to discuss here on today's show. And no problem. Thanks everyone for listening. We will be back next week with more Outlook. Find us on Twitter at OutlookCFB and on Facebook, facebook.com slash Outlook on Radio Western.